0: Welcome to Social Work Stories, a podcast exploring social work practice through stories and critical reflection. This podcast is recorded on Aboriginal country, which was never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. We offer a warm welcome to any Indigenous listeners who are part of our podcast community around the world. If you have thoughts or feedback for our team, or just want to find our whole back catalogue of episodes, check out our website, socialworkstories.com. But for now, on with the episode.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. I'm Dr. Mim Fox, and I am joined with my lovely friend and colleague, Liz Murphy. Hi, Liz. Hello, Mim. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to bah, 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 our 80th episode, Liz. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, 80. We've been doing this for a long time now. We have. I know. And so many beautiful stories, right?
2: And we've got another one.
1: Oh, so, yes. This is an excellent, excellent practice
2: piece, huh? It's, it's one of the Ds. The Ds. You know, so I've got this thing in my head about social workers like with the spaces that we own, right? Okay. And there are the two Ds. There's the death space, and gosh knows we've had a number of episodes on that. We definitely and own the death space. the domestic and family violence area. Ah,
1: okay. Area. And so
2: tonight we're going to be talking about the second one. Okay. But before we even get down there... Mm. I had a little laugh at this one. So the introduction reminded me of last week. Okay, I worked a Friday and it reminded... I haven't worked a Friday for a long time. But it reminded me of how much I love working Fridays. Why? Because there's a Friday friskiness Less staff are in the hospital. There's this excitement about the impending weekend. Yeah. People are talking about plans and maybe even, you know, grabbing a tie to 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 share at lunchtime. A bit of a relief, we, you know. Yeah. You got to the end of the week and oh wow, yeah. the weekend's right. Now there is this concept, and and I'll tell you this much now, Mim. This this one's gold because you don't get taught this at uni, but you know it when you're out practicing. The four thirty yeah. Friday afternoon referral. So what I'd like Mm. to say to people is never get attached to the friskiness, just enjoy (laughs) it, just enjoy the moment. Yeah. Because if you haven't had the 4.30 referral, as our social worker that we're about to listen to has, you've never lived. Well, you've never really
1: practiced in a high intense environment, right? Like the 4.30 Friday special really is about okay, crisis time, the bells are ringing, it's like the fire station, alarms going off, everybody, you thought you were
2: packing up, but, but you thought it, you were heading off. But the thing is, every, like a lot of people can walk away. Yeah. Because it's, if it's your turn to pick up that phone, if it's like it was for this particular social worker, she would have been waving off her colleagues because she knows she's in for a long night because she got the 4.30 special. So what
1: happens if it's 4.30 And you know your after hours social worker is going to start at five. Do you just hold off on answering that page or that call?
2: No, no, because no, if you've got an on call social worker, you definitely take that because you'll be passing that on to them. In half an hour. Oh, not a problem. And you're even quite happy to take the details because you're passing them that with joy. Because, yeah, someone else is going to do this. <laughs> but this social worker, it's her shift. Yeah, yeah. She can't yeah. pass this on to the encore social worker. Yeah, okay. It's all hers. It's all hers, baby. But I just want to say, I love this social worker. I love her. Because the way she tells this story, because, you know, like you could go, oh, 4 30, I, I had the big weekend plan. No, she doesn't. She approaches this with such compassion and grace. I love her.
1: Yeah. The empathy in this story is just stunning. Hey, let's listen to the story and then let's just bathe in the glory of this social work practice
2: piece. huh? Oh, definitely. And before we go down that path, because it is a story about domestic and family violence, we just wanted to flag that with people. That is the issue. This is a 24-hour domestic and family violence service that this social worker works in. Yeah. But let me say this. This is a beautiful practice piece. So the focus is very much on the practice of this social work, this social worker, the compassion and the authenticity that she shows, but some really useful information about what domestic and family violence can look like in this contemporary space. So we h- hear a bit about technology and how it's used in that coercive control. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting and it's important that we as social workers keep up to date with some of the tactics that perpetrators are using so So
1: for those listeners who um, aren't used to hearing those sorts of uh, situations or this sort of practice space just take it easy listening to the story if while you're listening to the story uh, you need that extra support please reach out to the services in your area uh, and um, and make sure you take care of yourselves
3: Work in family domestic violence in a city. We have 24 hour beds which women can come to um, seven days a week and stay for up to kind of 72 hours where we transfer them then on to what we call metro beds. So they can stay for up to three months where we support them. Uh, so my story today starts possibly quite classically on a Friday afternoon at about 4.30, which is a social worker's favourite time to get referrals through. And in a way, this is this is a quintessential Friday afternoon story. So I am sitting at my desk, busy back and forth with, you know, people coming to the door, getting groceries for people, chatting to people. We have a referral come through and I'm speaking to a lady on the phone who has met this woman. So the referral works for a multicultural service. She met this woman six months ago for the first time. The woman had walked to her service because of her circumstances she couldn't get there any other way and she hadn't seen this woman or heard from her for six months. So this was the only contact that they had had with her. So I start talking to the lady and we start unpacking what has happened to work out how we can best support her. And for our 24-hour service, our time limits are incredibly important because their safety is incredibly important. So we are discussing how she how we might best support her and are learning that this woman has lived in Australia for several years, speaks very minimal English um, from Thailand with her three children. Her children are in daycare and she can't pick them up. She's never been able to pick them up because she isn't allowed to travel in the car with her partner. He doesn't ever allow her to come in the car. He doesn't allow her any money, even the money that she earns, All of her phone calls are diverted to his phone, so she has no access to anyone in her community, basically, and in the home, she's controlled by technology, which for me, when I first started working in the field, was one of the most surprising things. I, probably like a lot of people, had a lot of assumptions about what family domestic violence would be like and the kind of people that we, we would see and stories we would see come through on repeat, and the the tech control was one that very much surprised me. And, yeah, this woman controlled by, you know, apps and locks, heating and cooling, um, had been, you know, forced to stay in bedrooms that were locked by him um, and, yeah, for countless hours and she had finally... She'd made some safety planning with the organisation six months prior and then an incident had occurred, things had escalated and she'd decided that this was the end. So she walked to this service, was talking to this lady and just said, I need to get out. So wonderfully things started firing off, like the process was basically firing off and happened in the most wonderful way really, where this doesn't always happen, but every person in the plan could kind of fulfil their role and support this woman. So I spoke with the referrer and we she needed to get the children back immediately so that they could come into Um, refuge accommodation however the perpetrator was still at home he had the children and I think one of the interesting things is that to disbelieve a woman and what she is saying is you know like the greatest faux pas of our work working in family domestic violence but to understand that you know like the impact of trauma and her perspective of her relationship and her safety it's difficult to try and you know, educate someone as to what their safety may be by how we see the rhythms and, you know, like trends in domestic violence. So we were having to, you know, the referrer said, "Oh, she's she's totally safe to go to the family home pick up pick up the children." He said that it's fine to do it, and we know, as you know, like a service that's taking women in in you know seven days a week, that that's possibly the most unsafe moment for the woman when. Um, for the first time in a very long time, he is out of control and he doesn't know what's happening. And for the purpose of this story, I'll say he because it's not always he as perpetrator. So, so we organised for police to come to, her, to the referrer service, attend the home collect the children and then go to police station because by this time the referrer had been working two hours past when she was supposed to be working on her Friday afternoon as well. And that was a bit of a negotiation as well. So part of our process is that we need to do like a proper intake, a proper interview. But because I required a translator to speak to her and she was already exhausted, we decided to get her to the police station and do it then. So kind of being a bit flexible with how we do our processes and convincing the police that we would definitely take her and that she wouldn't be stuck there all night, which is a common fear for them. So you know we waited, the other lady waited, she collected the children, went back, and then it was probably about five hours before we were able to. I was able to meet her face to face. but the interesting thing for me, working in family domestic violence is it's like having roller skates on and skating around in your mind trying to work out what the most important things are. So I'm thinking about her, I'm thinking about her safety. I'm thinking about the fact that her children, you know, it's dinner time and they haven't eaten and they're in a police station, making sure that through the translator service that she knows that she needs all of her documents, all of the things that are, you know, imperative for her children overnight, any special things that they might want because we know that it'll be incredibly difficult for her to go back and get those things and But then also thinking about the bigger things and how she is physically after an incident has occurred, if we're needing to refer to any particular services or what reporting we might need to do now while she's still got her children, you know, working out what kind of conversations we can have through the translator service with her, with her children present and how we navigate that when I'm 30 kilometres away from her sitting in a room at a station talking, you know. So all of those things, I think that's what I find interesting about working in this service, that you're considering about 40 different things, working out if even the small things are possibly the most important things, which I think is part of the translator service, which I'm always aware of, If we are having people, particularly if there's language that, you know, like a very small minority of the people living in Australia are speaking and we're accessing translating services that often people are related and know each other's families or stories and so even before we can Connect with translators. We're having to make sure if there's any family conflicts or if it's actually breaching their privacy to even access a service where we can communicate with another person. So, yeah, that went all fine. Police, a bit dubious of our process because she hadn't been officially accepted into our service before she went to them. And they were able to collect all of their belongings and then headed up to us. And so we we send taxi to our secure private location and probably at about kind of between 10 and 11 o'clock that night arrived with bags and children to a unknown place, shared accommodation. My voice that she'd heard over the phone, that's her only connection with where she's going. She hasn't been out of his, you know, she hasn't had her phone calls come through to her phone and now she is basically living with a whole group of strangers in a suburb she doesn't know if she doesn't even know where she is basically with her children with all these other children around you know um so we the children uh asleep in the taxi we pick up the children fill our arms with the children and put them to sleep in the beds that are ready for them you know with bags that are ready for them and comforts that are you know hopefully some comfort to them and ready for them and sit down and then unfortunately like most places have to sit down and fill out all the forms at 11 o'clock at night and ask for people's photo, you know, like after they've had this horrific incident and do all of the required paperwork and sit on Google Translate and have a conversation and try and get all the administration done but make sure that there's space for... Encouragement probably doesn't really even describe it, but maybe acknowledgement via Google Translate, (laughs) which feels very uncomfortable. But I think, you know, while you're on your roller skate skating around, I think that's something that you have to be prepared for in family domestic violence that you will, yeah, sit in, yeah, you will basically acknowledge and honour someone's courage and bravery over your app on your phone (laughs) but yes then we were able to settle this lady in as best we kind of knew how to and how she was directing us to and children settle in were able to get her food that was appropriate for her found her somewhere she could stay for a bit longer and stay with the kids to get housing start her life. So for a lot of our work, trusting that other services will basically take the baton and continue the work with families and the woman after this point of crisis is a lot of our work. So we will, you know, for the workers in that moment, I, you know, was able to see all of her immediate needs and attend them the best that I could. And then she kind of just goes off into the city right? And it's a difficult thing to navigate because, you know, after meeting her, I could have done all the planning for the next three months, but yeah, you essentially trust another service to see her with the same eyes that I saw her with and the same things that I thought were pressing for her. You just hope that they see the same things or hopefully other things that are actually pressing to that lady, you know, that she has identified and then trust them and you know, particularly for family domestic violence. We know that the average, you know, times a woman leaves is around seven before she permanently leaves the home. And we are often getting women coming back into our services over and over and we understand that's part of just a natural cycle of violence basically for them, for them that they um, need to leave several times. But, yeah, I guess you just – in in the crisis space really all i'm really focused on is a wonderful experience for the women and a dignified experience and a experience where they get to choose and have as much as possible in that help seeking kind of moment and so that when they do you know if they need to then seek help again that they've had a you know, a dignified experience of asking for help and someone treating them with just basic respect, right?
2: So I've got a few points. Not unsurprisingly, Liz, on a story like this. I, I know, but, you know, for something that was about 12 minutes, Yeah. Every time I've listened to it, so I've listened to it now for three, maybe four times, I pull something else out that is so valuable. I know. It's actually a magical story, isn't it? Like short and sharp but so rich. So I guess my first reaction was to acknowledge the bravery of this woman. I mean, could you imagine being in a country where you don't speak the language, you're being held prisoner in a home And you have no allies around. Yeah. And the bravery of this woman to walk to a service that she had made contact with six months ago, to have walked there and said, this is it, this is the day, like this is one of those moments that you just, you have to have everything working and yay, yay, All all of the things that needed to happen to support this woman in her escape actually flowed. I know that's
1: why I said magical because it's Mm -hmm. like the ducks lined up, right? Everything actually went to plan. I'm astounded that this woman was able to make that walk, right? Uh, And bravery is exactly the right word. I think there was also um, bravery in the social work response as well, right? Actually mimicking that experience and just leaning into the entire night that unfolded from that point on, right? Uh, Just incredible.
2: Mm. Mm. Mim, I have over the last few years, I've been hearing more and more about the impact that technology is having in some of our clients' lives, in terms of controlling them, surveilling them, and um, there's lots of great training. I know in Australia, we've got the eSafety Commissioner that does some amazing training. There's lots of stuff online, but I am hearing more and more. Social workers, say, in emergency departments, asking women to put their phones, we have special boxes for them. Yeah. And when I hear about this particular woman's story, I mean, this takes it up to a whole other level, the fact that she was held prisoner. um, By the apps. Yeah. 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 That was quite incredible. And it really
1: does, it's a sign of the times, isn't it, actually, um, that that's not something that ever existed at all when we went through but it's a skill set now and a base of knowledge that actually social workers need to be able to tap into. And there's a lot of social work research that's come out around digital responsibility in social work practice and how we actually engage with that online space. So it's
2: interesting to actually hear a practice story that is enacting that. And uh, interestingly, the technology that was used to support this woman, so the social work, you know, at 11pm, where are you going to get a Thai translator Google Translate isn't that interesting so it
1: was actually the tech that was supporting each either side of this story right like the violence that was perpetuating but also then the social worker in their intervention I was so impressed by that actually 11 o'clock at night there she is using Google Translate to get the message through to the police about what they needed to take out of the home incredible
2: Mim, a, a statement that stood out for me was when the social worker said to disbelieve a woman mm. is the biggest faux pas. I mean, I've paraphrased it. Yeah. But I guess you can't hear that enough. I know, I know. And it, especially when you're
1: in the moment working with someone, yeah. um, it's actually, it's, it's almost
2: a belief system, isn't it? to come to practice from and if you're this woman so again this is a woman who's been held in isolation doesn't have contacts to actually experience that belief yeah. yeah how powerful is that and how important is that in her because I mean okay so you don't have the verbal language but you can certainly be conveying that in in the ways in which you're holding her in the space. Oh, and also the care that she's showing throughout the whole entire night. And the I loved the the link to roller skating, right? Like that <laughs> that, yeah. that sense of being on your skates, having to yeah. kind of be thinking about, have the children been fed Um, Have we got all her documents? We need to actually um, do an intake with her but she'll be exhausted. All of these things going on in the social worker's mind. So what I loved about that list of things that you've just described, Liz, is that
1: it's not just one component of the intervention, right? So the social worker is thinking about the physical needs, the practical needs, the needs for the woman, the needs for the children, the fact that it's 11 o'clock at night and where is this family unit existing In time and space right as well as then theoretically what does this person need empathically what does this person need what are the skills she's going to need to draw on in order to support to support all those various elements
2: I love it the other thing that I appreciated was her acknowledgement that we can see the cycles that can exist within Mm -hmm. the violence so she's also aware of some of those really dangerous points. And there was one point when I was listening to the description of the other worker saying, Oh, you know, we can, the, the their partners said that we can come over. Horrific. And I don't know about you, but I just saw myself or the social worker just launching across the in the end. No. It was a theatrical moment, wasn't don't it? Do I know. It. Don't
1: do <laughs> the it. The most
2: dangerous time. Yeah, yeah. When you said D's of
1: earlier, I, I thought you were going to say danger, actually, because the danger in this situation is so heightened, right? And that social worker has to be aware of that the whole time because
2: the danger in that moment is coming from the other worker. Well, exactly. And yeah. so she perhaps has fallen for the, you know, maybe he's put on the charm.
1: Oh, 100%. There'll yeah. be
2: no problem whatsoever. Yeah. Come on in. But that there was a beautiful partnership with the police. Mm-hmm. That always helps, I think. Oh. And if you're going to go into someone's house and you're going to be removing, you know, important... <laughs> important possessions of the woman whilst there's a a violent perpetrator there you know you're gonna need the police it's lovely when that all works out yeah and I do think that that's
1: a um, skill in itself in developing that relationship with the police to know that you're in partnership together working for the same aim particularly if you're needing google translate Mm -hmm. to be part of that partnership right that's got it that that to me the description of being able to trust the police to work with the social worker, that told me about the quality of the relationship that had been developed there.
2: Mim, the work of this social worker reminds me very much, back to your point about the on-call social work, right? Yeah, it's very short, sharp yeah, intervention. And I was really interested in the way that she talked about, I had to I had to focus on what was happening right there in the here and now. Yeah. I could have safety planned with this woman for the next few months, but i that's not my role here. Yeah. It's to actually make these first 72 hours as comforting as possible, as safe as possible, and then trusting that the service that she's going to be moved into will follow up with all of this. I don't think that's easy, Liz. I don't think it's easy for social workers to make peace with that and
1: um, and to not make peace with that, to actually wrestle with that regularly, that's really normal. I think sometimes particularly students think, are they ever going to be able to move beyond um, wanting to see this case through and wanting to go into the future with someone? And I don't think you do. I think there's always cases that come up where you go, I just wish I could make
2: sure that this was all going to be okay. This is possibly the fourth social worker that we've heard from who highlights the importance of always keeping the door open. Yeah, right. And that knowing that on average it takes a woman seven times to leave a violent relationship. Mm. I know when I worked in DV that helped me and always being able to, and we've heard this with our ED social worker, remember a few episodes back, just always letting them know that this service is here for them. That's right. It's so important. Because so, you don't know what's going to come. Well, you don't. And as your social is saying, oh, all I've got is this moment, so I have to actually make yeah. this as supportive as possible. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
1: I just think um, bravery, I'm going to go back to that word, right? Because it's bravery from the woman, it's bravery from those kids and it's bravery from this worker and the police involved as well. It's, this is hard work. It just is. 11 o'clock at night, it's hard for everyone.
2: Yeah, but it's good work. Hey? It is good work. Like,
1: oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: It's satisfying work, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. I mean, I think she said so much in her 12 minutes. I don't think we need to, you know. I know. Let's, let's just more. sit with it.
1: Let's sit with it. Let's enjoy the beauty of this practice and. Um, and I want to say thank you to the social worker for oh,
2: sharing yeah, this story because we we
1: enjoyed it, we enjoyed it very much. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and if uh, you're a social worker out there who is doing this sort of practice, we want to hear from you as well. these short sharp interventions. they're um, it's tough work, right? So let's hear who's out there doing this really on the ground work that's so important, so vital. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Have a good week, Liz. You too, Mim. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Social Work Stories podcast. All of the stories we share are de-identified to respect and protect the people involved. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice, no matter the context. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work we do, we would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, if you can leave us a five-star rating and write a review, it would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Liz Murphy, Dr. Mim Fox, Justin Stesch, Dr. Ben Joseph, and Maddie Stratton. Thanks so much for listening.